Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. If I worried what every bitch in New York was saying about me, I'd never leave the house. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Claire Howarth. I'm Hillary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. We're here to determine our top five episodes of HBO's Sex and the City, ahead of next week's return of season two of And Just Like That. I am someone who is looking for love. Real love. Last time on Still Watching, we talked about three classic Sex in the City episodes. This time, we're discussing two more. And then at the end of this show, we will make our definitive, scientific, absolutely certain <laughs> ranking of the top five. Hillary, where are we starting today? Okay, first up this week, we have season six, episode seven, The Post-It Always Sticks Twice. It originally aired on August 3rd, 2003. I'm sorry I can't. Don't hate me. The motherfucker's concise. So this episode starts with the morning after Burger's fateful breakup post-it. And now it is time for Carrie to process. A post-it? That's infuriating. Yeah, I remember when breaking up over the phone was considered bad form. Carrie's new relationship status comes as Charlotte gets engaged to Harry, my favorite man. Congratulations. That's great. She tries to offer up some positive thinking, saying everything happens for a reason. If I had never married Trey, then I never would have gotten divorced, and I never would have met my divorce lawyer, Harry, and I wouldn't be engaged now. Uh Uh-huh. Paper covers rock. 
The girls head for a night out, and Miranda gets her groove back in her skinny jeans. How'd you do it? Well, I got pregnant, became a single mother, and stopped having any time to eat. Samantha gets the ick when Smith calls her his girlfriend, but she feels differently when he tells TRL that he's single. But I'm not seeing anyone special. She realized no one special was another label she didn't care for. And Carrie gets busted by the cops for smoking a joint, and her post-it becomes her get-out-of-jail-free card. That didn't happen. I'm sorry, I can't. Don't hate me. Wow. Brutal. Effective. It is. Brevity is the soul of breakups. You know, maybe his first novel didn't sell (laughs) so great, but he can get a lot across in just six words. Yeah. Uh, So concise, yet contains multitudes. Yes. I I think that all of us uh, felt pretty strongly that the post-it had to be represented when we were talking about the show's best episodes. Chris Clare, why do you think this episode is worthy of a top five? Chris, you have to go because I actually don't know if I voted this one into the top five. (gasps) (gasps) Descent. Continuing (gasps) in my trajectory as the hater. (laughs) Did you even like this show, Claire? No, I'm (laughs) I... I voted this one, or I think this has to be included just because the post-it is so much bigger than even the show. It's It, it was such a groundbreaking uh, way to break up with somebody, and it has a, a life of its own in terms of like memes and the internet, which that doesn't matter, but it's transcended, I think, the series into be part of like popular culture in a way that like everyone knows the post-it breakup, mm-hmm. everyone knows, and... Well, I'm not sure. I mean, and there was some debate as to what is really the Post-it episode. We were talking about That's that. That's true. Is it the episode where Berger leaves the Post-it or is it when she's reeling and, you know, Carrie gets angry and tells off those men, including Michael Showalter at bed, that, you know, Berger sucks. Yeah, this was like our, like, council at Nicaea where we had to, like, determine what is actually the Post-it episode um, and which uh, I, I came down on the side of the episode about the Post-its aftermath, uh, because I think that that's a better one. The previous episode is the one where Carrie and Berger actually break up. She goes on jury duty. Uh, she sees a man take a mango out of his briefcase. There's like some funny business, but mostly it's kind of just like a sad episode true. about how terrible their relationship is. That's true. I did admit later that definitely the Post-it always sticks twice is the one we should put in the, it shouldn't be the one before. What I really wanted to talk about was how cute Berger was as a guest star. But <laughs> that's why I liked the previous mm. one. But yes. I did like this one for <laughs> for its togetherness and for Carrie's ambitious need to make something other than the post-it note have happened that day, which she succeeds in doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her, yeah, her righteous anger feels very... Yeah. Very relatable, very believable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's a fun, like one crazy night kind of thing right. where all the characters are together. You know, often they're kind of siloed in their different areas and each of them is having a different storyline. But we get to see the girls go out and interact with each other for much of the episode. Um, it's nice to see the foursome intact. I mean, each of them has their own story beat, obviously. Um, I will say that the, the Miranda's weight stuff has not aged super great. But the okay, so I will say to counter that, the one pair of jeans, that was kind of iconic that everyone has that one pair of like jeans. I thought of it as more empowering, like in terms of Miranda's got her groove back. The jeans were great. She does look great. It was fun to see confident, sexy Miranda after, you know, the Brady of it all. And and I guess I just saw it as like, yes, girl. Slay. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's fair. I, I, I don't know I, if I had heard the term skinny jeans until this episode also. I am old enough to have known and used skinny jeans. And although I I wouldn't use it now, I, I wouldn't use it now. 
I appreciated the reality of Miranda emerging from, like, her matrescent cocoon and back into her jeans from another era and how they made her feel sexy. Mm -hmm. And she worked it. Meanwhile, in the episode, um, we've also got a kind of poignant Charlotte storyline. She just got engaged to Harry. She has a new engagement ring. She's planning a new wedding, but she can't really shake the memories of the first wedding. And, you know, Charlotte's entire arc is about wanting this fairy tale life. And the reality is very different from what she had planned for herself. So there's like some nice poignancy in this episode, too. I really like when she runs into those bachelorettes. The bar, at, the at dive the, bar. At the dive bar. If the first place was called bed, this place should be called smell. smell. <laughs> it's so good. It's a good line. Also, oh, bed yeah. reminder, note to all who weren't there, this was like peak Amy Sacco nightclub era in New York City. Bed was real? Bed mm. was not real, but it was definitely, it felt like to me like a send-up of nightclub culture when bottle service was a thing and people were going to like one oak and just a different time in New York City's nightlife. I think this is also when Samantha moves to the meatpacking district around yeah. that time. And yeah, that was, when she goes downtown. Yeah, that was part of the city's... Uh, yes, did Samantha actually ruin the meatpacking district in real life? Discuss. I mean, the way sex in the city affected <laughs> and ruined or made better lots of things in real life, debate. Yeah, I mean, Magnolia Bakery is, like, still a huge—there are a lot of locations of Magnolia oh, Bakery still. There's a line outside the door of that. Is is there still in the in the West Village one? Is there still? Before there was TikTok ruining places in New York, there was <laughs> things like Sex in the City. <laughs> and there, was, there was television shows, and that's where we people knew where to go. I will say, Bed was very, like, as, that was, like, when I was watching it, like, you know, in my 20s, I was like, oh, it's a very—it felt of a different era, like a cool, like— why wouldn't they have a nightclub called Bed, honestly? Uh, bed bugs? Um, and was very <laughs> chic. Oh, God. Oh, well, that's why in New York, absolutely not. It was a nightclub. It wasn't the AMC on 42nd Street. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> no public bed. I was going to ask about Carrie's big... I mean, Carrie also gets to be righteously angry here, too. Like, she gets to really tell off Berger's friend. What are the names? Like, it's like... Michael Showalter. As Billy. <laughs> and just so you know, Alan. Uh, Andrew. Uh-huh. Most women aren't angry, irrational psychos. We just want an ending to a relationship that that is thoughtful and decent and honors what we had together. So my point, Billy, is this. There is a good way to break up with someone, and it doesn't include a post-it. She makes it so she much worse. Left it, like, Carrie, you're an adult. <laughs> and Charlotte and Samantha should, are yeah. looking on she with horror make- in their eyes as she's just like spirals. Ugh. Which also felt, yeah, like very true to the character. Friends very don't let friends <laughs> One of them talk could have drunk. stepped in. Yeah. yeah. But the spiral that she was on that really encompassed the whole episode, like that felt very carry and also relatable. Not that I've ever been broken up with via post-it note, but I, I don't, I can't say I would act any better. <laughs> under those circumstances. And she loves to talk and tell people, you know, shout things from the rooftop. So her main character syndrome, which does make sense because she is the main character of the show, was really, really leaps out in this episode. And if you don't like Carrie, I think this is a tricky episode. But if you do like Carrie, it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun ride. It is. I mean, it's also very classic Carrie at the beginning of the, the episode when uh, they're meeting for brunch and Charlotte's so excited to talk about her engagement. And like, of course, that should be like the big news of brunch. But then <laughs> Carrie has to take out the post-it yeah. and make it about her. Although her putting the post-it on top of the engagement ring, paper covers rock, also a great classic line. 
Great but line. Chef's kiss. Like perhaps the entire episode designed Ugh. around that line. I would uh, approve. Yes, I think many episodes were designed around <laughs> pure wordplay. Lucy Liu being one. Oh, yes. yes. I, I want to move over to Samantha because before we talk about uh, Smith, who is another one of, I think, the show's good men. I, I feel like mm. we can put him in the good men column. Maybe that's debatable. I don't know. Chris is maybe making some noises of dissent. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm nodding yes. Oh, you yeah. are? I'm nodding okay. yes. I think, um, but before we get to that, I just want to air one tiny grievance you know, 20 years later, is that how is Samantha watching TRL at night? TRL famously <laughs> yeah, was aired at 3 p.m. 4 p.m. <laughs> 3 or 4 p.m. So that I, coming home from like developmental tennis practice, could watch it. Okay. I <laughs> am willing to get fact check on this. I do feel like it re-aired later. Maybe, but shouldn't she have been watching it live if she's his publicist? It's Total Request Live, Claire. It's not total request later. Okay, again, as with Kyle MacLachlan's Viagra, <laughs> it doesn't make for good TV. <laughs> Maybe so. I'm oh, okay. Wow. Fine. Sex in the City is obviously not, you know, known for its like rigid accuracy to facts and no. you know the actual like life of living in New York. But anyway, yes, a good a good Samantha storyline here too. We get to see her with Smith, who is probably, you know, definitely the best of yeah. the men that she has dated, I would say, right? Like far for and sure. away. Yeah, though I did like her and Richard. Richard, I was sort of rooting for them. I know he was you ultimately were rooting bad. for them? I was too. Oh, he's so gross. I thought they, fe- I, yeah, but they were so good together. They made sense as a couple. They me. made a ton like, of sense. Gross recognized this. gross. Like that's, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. you know, his like, his like little like wet lips are, ugh. Oh, he's, I remember being very <laughs> persuaded by it. And I, I do think Smith was a good guy to her, but he was also like almost negated by his hotness. Like he's too hot. Mm. Kind yeah. of. But that's his whole, that's the whole thing. That's his whole thing. Right. Well, it didn't work for me. <laughs> Yeah. He's such a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man with a kind heart who really just listened to Samantha, took Samantha's advice. And that's another thing. Like, the when we get these moments where, like, Samantha breaks open or, like, she's, like, she drops that. And it's not a facade because Samantha really is. Right. You don't you don't get the sense that she's pretending to be a tough bitch. Like, that's just who she is. Yeah. That's just who she is. But then when we get, when we see her sort of, you know, open up a little bit and sort of take things in personally, it was really nice. It was nice to see her sort of take in Smith and following her plan to say that he didn't have a girlfriend when like, obviously, obviously she's seeing him, but she likes to be independent and she's an independent lady. And when he wanted to be with her, you know? Yeah, there's you could make an argument that the show kind of betrays Samantha by ending with her paired off as well. Like that doesn't really feel mm. it, it feels a little like it punts at in the finale. I mean, spoiler alert for by, you know, making sure that all four of the characters wind up paired off that, you know, having any of them still be single would be like too scary or something. But I do think that if she's going to wind up with anybody, Smith makes sense as like. Maybe not a forever boyfriend, but as like a boyfriend for her that helps her and like a become more in touch and with her vulnerable side. Yes. And he quite literally nursed her to health That's when true. she had cancer. And yes, he's a stand up guy for sure. 
unbelievably hot. Yeah, um, I just I, this it's a really fun episode. Uh, there are a couple heavier moments, maybe, but like I think that this also has a really fun performance by Sarah Jessica Parker as like Carrie goes into her downward spiral. Really love her chugging champagne and then saying we have to get out of here immediately. Like I think the delivery there much better. You think we have to get out of here immediately? really a plus yeah but yeah this this like hot child in the city is just a lot of fun i think that's why i would put it up there yes the show's at its best when it stars having comic delight still watching we'll be back in just a moment and when we return our final entry into the top five hi i'm jeremy larson the reviews director of pitchfork and this podcast is supported by pitchfork music festival Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The final episode that we're going to talk about is a lot of fun, but also heavy. Probably the heaviest that the show gets. Our next contender, we're still in season six. It's episode 18, Splat. Original air date, February 8th, 2004. New York is over. O-V-E-R. Here's a quick recap. Carrie is in her Alexander Petrovsky era, and he asks her to move to Paris, but she has some questions. I'm inviting you to go to France, not to jail. I just have... More questions? The ladies also have questions. But the most outspoken is Miranda, who tells Carrie she's making a mistake giving up her job in New York to follow Petrovsky to Paris. You're living in a fantasy! Meanwhile, Carrie is also tasked with finding a date for her former Vogue editor. Please never mention this conversation to anyone at Condé Nast. And at the event, party girl and cocaine enthusiast Lexi (laughs) Featherston, played by Kristen Johnston, meets her end by falling out a window. No one's fun anymore! Whatever happened to fun? God, I'm so bored I could die. (laughs) Splat, when we did our ranking of favorite episodes. Everybody put it on their list. That was like a no-brainer. And uh, yeah. Claire, you actually voted for this one. I did vote for this one. Look, so I, I voted want- for a lot of episodes, okay? <laughs> I'm just mad that the Connecticut baby shower did make the cut. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that was really high up there for me, too. Oh, thank you, Chris. That's validating. That makes me the feel Connecticut better. The Connecticut baby shower, probably. <laughs> yeah. I should go back and watch it now that I have a baby and have been to baby showers. Okay, that's my write-in. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get to the ranking later. Why Splat? Why Splat? Kristen Johnston. Mm-hmm. She's like, so great. She's so mm. fucking funny. So yeah. 
uh, body and that loud dress. And uh, she just, you know, she's like illustrating some New York moment that is beyond her character. And and then she splats. Yeah, she makes you yearn for like to like go back in time through the rest of the show and just like sprinkle Lexi into the entire series. Like yes. she should have been recurring yeah. the entire she time. She could be the fifth girl. She should have been the fifth girl. She oh should have. God, that's right. She like, should have been the fifth girl. I don't think I would have wanted her to be the fifth girl. I think I would have wanted her to yeah. just like freak, like once or twice a season, they bump into her like uh, like Janice on Friends or something. Like she's just like around and they yeah. like party with her and like she says something ridiculous and then like scurries off again and then you don't see her for like 12 episodes. Right. Like, she is such a great character in such a short amount of screen time. Kristen Johnston just makes her feel, like, so fully formed and well-rounded. I wasn't doing New York nightlife in, like, the 80s and 90s, but I really feel like I got to know who this person was. Yes. (laughs) It was a a somewhat washed up, cynical, (laughs) angry but amused. Funny. Uh, (laughs) She's just great. So, yeah, she would be reason number one why I love this episode. And then Candace Bergen. Mm. Candace Bergen, of, Mm. like, all the recurring characters who did show up a lot. Like, I I also have a lot of affection for her. Love. Murphy Brown. Uh, I mean, Enid, we we should, you know, probably disclose that she works at Condé Nast, as do we. That's right. So, you know, (laughs) take this with a grain of salt. As does Wallace Shawn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Bon App (laughs) editor, the Vogue editor. You would think that they would have known each other, I guess, actually. I was expecting that line mm. to happen. Well, he's, not, a food, he's a food critic, not an editor. True, true. So but maybe. no of. So they might Reputationally, there seemed to be no recognition. Yeah, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. To have them, like, not like each other because they had, like, he had said something. He had been boring her at the Christmas party or something. Right. I agree with Claire in terms of, I mean, it's Lexi. The Lexi of it all is so great. And even just, like, charting back, like, having watched these episodes basically in succession, like over the course of a short amount of time, seeing how different New York was from and how different like, they all looked like, you know, it's like now we're in like season six, part two, it's coming to an end. The women have grown up and having Lexi sort of be this like vestige of like a season two, I was thinking about to like single and fabulous. Mm-hmm. They, they shoot single people, don't they? Where all the girls are out dancing and whatnot. And like Lexi, like yearning for that and not ha- sort of, maturing with them and you have like the Lexi sort of like nobody's fun anymore like what happened to the city and then you have Enid sort of another sort of depiction of a woman dealing with aging and maturation and you know their place in the world and their place in society and then with Carrie thinking about up and leaving for Paris with, with uh, Alex Petrovsky which we get which good man bad man we haven't said yet um, I think it just all really it really hangs together and especially after watching like the series progress over time, you get to Lexi and you're like, oh, wow. Like, she is making some points. Things are different. Yeah, you look at Splat as like a meta, like commentary on Sex and the City itself, I think is like Lexi complaining, like, why isn't the show fun anymore? Like, why aren't we just like having like fun, sexy adventures? Like, everybody's paired off. Everybody's getting older. Like, I also do think another thing that makes this episode great, I do think the Miranda and Carrie fight after the funeral is really fantastic. It's great because they're both kind of right. What? This is about you. As long as I'm here in the same place, writing my column, then nothing has really changed. No, this is about you. No, you moved on. Charlotte's moved on. Even Samantha's moved on. I can stay here and write about my life or I can go with him and live my life. You mean his life? Yeah. There's nobody wrong in that in that scenario. It comes from such an emotional place. And it's something that's only earned after spending like 
six years with these women, right? It's like you couldn't, it'd be harder to pull off something like this, something so seismic of Carrie moving potentially. We wouldn't care as much if we didn't love them and their friendship as much. Mm -hmm. Their fight feels so real. Mm -hmm. Another honest moment. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte and Samantha definitely are the most extreme of the four characters. Like, they are the two that feel less like people and more like ideas sometimes. But like, Carrie and Miranda, you believe them, you believe that they are friends, you believe that they will take opposing viewpoints on things. And like, yeah, listening to them, you're like, wow, Miranda has a point. Carrie maybe should not be running off with this guy that she barely knows and has, you know, really not been together with all that long. But also Carrie is right. Like, she can't just stick around because Miranda wants to have a cool single friend who is like in town and there for her. Right. Like, she doesn't want to feel like boring and married in Brooklyn. Right. Like, she trotted out her leprechaun hat for the one funeral. (laughs) That hat! (laughs) (laughs) That was actually the fifth girl. Sorry. (laughs) Had to take a minute. I was just going to say, in terms of whether or not Carrie should move, I can totally, I still, to this day, can see both sides of why she would go or why she wouldn't go. Petrovsky notwithstanding. But even Petrovsky, who that is, well, and without the final episode, which we're not really talking about, I still don't, I'm not, I'm not a Petrovsky, I I didn't like his character. I know, where did you two fall? Say more, Chris. Say more. Tell us more about why not, because I agree I think it's really controlling. I, I think, Yeah, I think it's like as much as the uh, American Girl in Paris thing sounds glamorous, the whole entire time of their relationship, and more so than I will say, well, maybe not more so, but maybe just as much as Aiden is trying to control her and and keep a lid on her and not let her fly, which is the whole thing that goes back to Single and Fabulous, where it's like she wants to live this extravagant life and go out and party and write and sort of experience everything. And men and life keep trying to clamp her down. and. Alex is one of those men, and I guess Big is ultimately two, but he's sort of, because they're in juxtaposition with each other, it's like he seems to be like the less... He's emotionally withholding, but I don't think that he tries to control her just because he doesn't seem to like her very much. He like doesn't, yeah. he doesn't care yeah, about he doesn't, her enough he doesn't care to try enough. to trap her. Whereas these other men are trying to trap her, and I just, I think the Carrie that I... Why I'm a Carrie apologist is that she is so free, even though she's messy and terrible sometimes and awful, she's... She's free. She is cringe, but she is free. Um, and she, and when these men try to sort of stifle her, that upsets me. And I think Petrovsky, that's exactly what he's going to do with with Paris. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't. And that's why and Miranda is sort of doing that to Carrie too in her own yeah. friend way. Oh yeah. yeah, no, it's it it is a, a different sort of controlling, I guess. Um, which is you know it's it's a bummer from Carrie. I can see Carrie's perspective. Like I feel like. Seeing the way that the show ends, if you do look at the finale, like it's clear that Miranda is right. But, you know, you can see why Carrie wouldn't want to just keep doing the thing that she's been doing for the past however many years she's supposed to have been writing this column. Many. Yeah. Yeah. But it is ultimately New York's the fifth girl. So it's like she was always going to choose like... (laughs) New York, right? Well, it's like she's yeah. always going to choose New York. But yeah, no, and I, I love the opening scene of this episode too, where I don't know how many moments during the series you see all the all the main characters in one room at the same time. Um, and so that's like great. Mm-hmm. You get to see them bounce off of each other. You get to be like, hmm, what would like what would Steve be like if he were like talking to Harry? I actually have no idea. Like it's it's interesting <laughs> yeah. to see them all together. It's a beautiful piano. You play. Yeah, I do. Yeah? You know any Billy Joel? Hmm, I'm not familiar. Uptown girl, always a woman. 
piano man. What I thought was so striking about the dinner table scene is how you can sense how Petrovsky is looking at them like they're all Philistines, <laughs> which is really the only time you ever see them looking that way. Like, you're like, oh, my God, they're all just, like, smug about being New Yorkers <laughs> in this kind yeah. of horrible way. Yeah, and when there's this, like, actually cosmopolitan, sophisticated person. <laughs> global, international man who's who— um you know, looking down flying. On right, very, exactly. Like openly. And I think Miranda calls him mm. smug mm-hmm. to Steve when they're fighting in the bedroom later. And that's the, that's the word that makes me dislike him the most. He's very smug. Oh, and, totally. Yeah, and controlling of Carrie for sure. And seems to want him to do what he says because he said to do it, which I'm, he might actually be my least favorite Sex and the City man. Even, <laughs> even less. Wow, that's a hard rank order. It's tough to Mr. Big, but yeah, it's if tough I, to if I can separate mm-hmm. Chris Noth from Big, mm-hmm. I think I would put Petrovsky below. Petrovsky below, yeah, yeah. Well, I will say this for Petrovsky is that he does have one of my favorite lines in the series, um, which is earlier before this episode. It's like right when he and Carrie first meet, and he's like very humorless, and she's like doing some kind of like little wisecrack, and he goes, "You are comic." <laughs> 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 a very Russian way. <laughs> you want a comic? <laughs> you want a comic? Uh, yeah. And Mikhail Bryshikov is a good, he is very good. Actor. He's good He's in the great. role, yeah. Um, and at ballet, too. And yeah, I mean, it's it's important that before they got to the finale, they had to have this moment of like, is New York over? Like, has, has this version of the city that we've been like frolicking through? Is that era ending? Like, is it not just the show that's ending, but like an entire era that this show was based on? Yeah. And I guess it was. <laughs> and what was the air date of this one again? February 8th, 2004. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I guess I guess it was. But then, it, and then I'm going to quote a Katy Perry song, it's never really over. I mean, it's like, this show was ended, like New York was over, the party was over, the series was ending, and then we had a movie, and then we had another movie, and now we have season two of a revival series. In some way, it's sort of nice to sort of that... That even as the eras shift, uh, the enduring quality of like these women and like and New York, it does persist. But we can all agree that it's not the same. It's not. It's definitely not the same. No. In the later iterations of the franchise, it's not the same. Which is why we're still talking about the original Sex in the City now. Which is why I also won't be watching <laughs> yeah. at least as of today. And just like that. Oh, very interesting. Like you're just like I don't. I want to pretend know. like it's not I there. I don't like need to see them grow up beyond <laughs> that. I don't need to see them. Mm move into Bloomberg and then de Blasio and then Adam's New York eras. I just don't I'm happy to leave those characters where they are. I mean, it is nice to see things end. But that said, I will be devouring and just like that as <laughs> though I have a bottomless pit inside of me. Like I will be <laughs> drinking it. Absolutely. <laughs> because I care that much about this franchise. Still Watching will be back in just a moment, and we'll rank our top five Sex and the City episodes. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Are we going to do this live? Are we going to discuss it? 
and rank them on tape? Or are we going to discuss Do it? like a secret ballot? Do we need to? No, no. Like, but what? Have an independent <laughs> like, like, vote counter? <laughs> no, I just want to know how crass um, I can be, really. All right. Well, now you've piqued my interest. What, what's your... Crass out. Okay. Give, us your, give us your top five. What are your no, top yeah. No. Okay. My top five. Let's see. Of Are you ranking just the ones we've talked about? Or do you want to name episodes we have not talked about? Look, I'm just going to say the baby shower episode, it belongs in the top five. I could leave Post-It for Ooh, that one. Okay. But okay. going you off what okay. we had, which I'm sorry, our producer did try to keep us to these five <laughs> episodes. I wasn't supposed to do that. I'm going to go with <laughs> number five, the Post-It always sticks twice. Number four, coulda, shoulda, woulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Number three. I'll go for Splat as my number one, mm-hmm. and they shoot single people, don't they, as number two. Okay. Which leaves... Hot Child at three. Exactly. All right. Ah, two and three might... Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to put it there for now. All right. Chris, do you have an answer? I... Of these, yeah. So I, I do think... So honorable mentions to some of the episodes that didn't get into this sort of elite five are My Motherboard, Myself, um, The Baby Shower... And, you know, an American Girl in Paris, part two, if, depending on how you feel about the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a whole other podcast. Well, no, okay, that sounds like you like Big, so. Um, <laughs> I was happy for Carrie at the time. That's what I was <laughs> <laughs> I think she made the right decision in that moment at the time, <laughs> knowing what we know. <laughs> um, I have changed. Okay. Um, of the ones we talked about, they're all so different. Um, I think my five, I think the post-it, is a, as a concept is bigger than potentially the episode. So I agree with Claire. I'll put Post at five, Hot Child in the City for really fun. Then it's going to go coulda, woulda, shoulda. Then they shoot single people. And I splat, it just splat has it all. Splat has it all. And it's like series defining. It's funny, but it's heartbreaking. They're, we get them all together. We're acknowledging the end of something. Ugh, I just think it's so... And, and that cameo. I think Splat has got to be my one. So that's mine. All right. A, f- a fair assessment. All um, right, Hillary. All right. I mean, I'm going last, which means that my rankings are final. <laughs> yeah. These are the this real. This is the final ranking. Yeah, this- <laughs> you know, I might, go, I might go a little rogue. I might say... I might put coulda, woulda, shoulda at five. Um, uh, just because uh, I don't know how much, I don't know how much the show really cares about like issues, quote unquote. Like, I think it's a good episode, but I don't know if it's like top just because, you know, they did and then, then they never talk about it again. Um, so that's like a, a whole, they they're not thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a whole, a whole separate uh, mm-hmm. issue. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to do at number four. I guess then I'm going to put uh, Post-It at four. Okay. I'm going to do... Mm. I mean, Hot Child is my favorite, but it's not the best. So. I think it's pretty good. It's really good. So I wanted to put it in two, Ooh, and yeah. I was telling It is one. really I'm gonna, good. I'm going to put it... I'm actually going to do something crazy, you guys. I'm going to put Hot Child at three. Okay. I'm going to put Splat at two, and I'm yeah. going to put They Shoot Single People, Don't They, at one. Because I feel like wow. that is just okay. such a good... like. Splat is great, but you need everything that came before it to appreciate it. Like it is the it is a it is a culmination of the series in a lot of ways. But if you're just talking about like the most emblematic, like the most like textbook Sex in the City episode, if I were to like be asked to just like name an episode of Sex in the City that 
just sums up what the entire show is and like you know does it really well does all of all the parts of it really well then maybe it's uh they shoot single people don't they Oh, God. If you're yeah, going to ask right me to do that, I don't know who would be asking me to do that. <laughs> I'm asking you to do that. <laughs> Besides our producers, I suppose. No, I th- I think that's, I can get on board with that. That's I'm not the sure. Argu- that's the argument for doing it. I do think, okay, so we still, I guess by virtue of our votes, what we wound up with Splat at number one. What ended up winning? I mean, I it's, a, it's a ranked ballot. It's a, a ranked choice ballot. Yep. So, you Splat. know, so places, yeah, place <laughs> matters. So, yeah, I think Splat is number one, which I, I think it should be. I was I was just trying to be contrarian. But you're very persuasive in your contrariness. OK. Well, it was. Is, Those are the two perfect bookends of the series. Those oh, are the bookends. Yeah, totally. totally. Boom, yeah. You boom. can forget is, season one exists almost and maybe just kind of start the show. Disagree. Mm. Oh, OK, well, that's, se- <laughs> that's going to be a separate <laughs> episode. <laughs> All right. We have our ranking. This is a uh, ranked choice ballot. Here we go. Final. Number five, the post-it always sticks twice. Number four, coulda, shoulda, woulda, a.k.a. coulda, woulda, shoulda. Three, hot child in the city. Love it. Mm. Two, they shoot horses. I mean, sorry. (laughs) That would be a twist. Right? They shoot single people, don't they? (laughs) And number one, splat. Yes, but if anybody has another opinion, I guess you can write to us and tell it to us. Yes, we want you to do that, in fact. Yeah, please email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Yeah, because we love we love contrary opinions. We're all we had a lot of them over the course of these episodes. A lot of different a lot of uh, you know, different takes, which that's why we do this. Ah, this has been fun. So much fun. I love talking about television. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Steven Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week as we recap the first episode of And Just Like That. Looking forward to seeing you then. Oh, did you want to come up? Absolutely. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) 